1: Morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y whales, wherever you are in the world. It's our one challenge again. It's like continue to complain about it. Like we can move money around the globe a thousand times in a minute. Uh, can't control time zones, so it kind of happens. Um, that being said, 2022 has really been off to kind of a, a very interesting start. So here it is, June first. Um, I will say the market, you know, started off very strong in in uh, at a, a few points. Um, and quite simply, after the the Terra UST debacle, um, we've seen a real cooling off period. And I think that again, where we can. Talk about that's uh, both of a, um, a, a massive hit to the industry. It also becomes a little bit of the strength that happens because the true developers, the true teams, have now a little bit of time and a little less focus on them to pull back and really build their foundations. You know that's what happens in these down markets. That's what happens in almost any recession. Not saying we're in a recession, um, but any time where where the the stock market isn't as, isn't as hot and people start focusing on the technology. And so I've got Jamie Burke here today from Outliers and really want to kind of you know dive into a little bit of the history of of, how Outliers was formed um, and really where it is today and how it's helping to drive the industry uh, from a a massive perspective as well. So, Jamie, thank you so much.
2: Hey there. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so so Outliers, over eight years old now. Um, Today, we are the world's leading accelerator in Web3 by volume, hopefully quality. Um, So we've got a portfolio of about 135 startups at the moment. We're going to add another 200 um, uh, over the course of 2022. So um, that kind of scales uh, indicative of where we are as an industry, but then also hopefully as an organization, our our, uh, ability to execute. Um, And, you know, there's still a, a huge number of brilliant founders, Building in a space, entering the space, um, and there's still a lot of capital there as well. But I guess we'll, we'll come to that a little bit later. Um, how we got to where we are is, you know, being over eight years uh, in the space, um, there wasn't really much of an industry at that time. You know, I think we were um, certainly in the kind of the first three, four funds, technically, that were investing in the space. Um, you know, we were founded not not long after blockchain capital um, over on the West coast. And, but the difference was uh, we didn't have any money. So a lot of the other funds were actual funds in that, you know, they had LP money to invest, albeit not much compared to today's funds. Yeah. Um, but we didn't have any, we had some of my personal savings. Um, I'd done a couple of other startups prior. Um, and, you know, so I put a, a little bit aside, didn't really know where it was going at the time, but couldn't think about doing anything else, kind of divested my time and money out of pretty much everything that I was doing that was non-crypto and, and just said, well, look, let's." it feels like this is worth investing time in and um, something good will come out of it at the end. The aspiration being at that point a fund. Um, but you know, the reality was I was sat here in the UK and uh, you know, didn't have a track record as a fund manager. Didn't have a huge amount of capital myself. So we just set about initially creating a studio. I found a co-founder, a technical co-founder, a guy called Aaron van Amers out in Amsterdam. He was basically the only uh, developer I could find. <laughs> At crypto meetups, that I understood what the hell he was talking about, like felt like a an actual human. Still, maybe the only one that exists. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And had some commercial expertise and experience. I thought, great, okay, I, I can. We we speak kind of the same language here, um, and so we we set up a studio to just get some applied learning. And so, of course, that was pre. Uh, Ethereum, and then um, you know, very nascent Ethereum. We were playing with technology and, and breaking it and very quickly realizing that um, all these use cases that everyone was very quickly talking about that would be possible as a consequence of blockchain were many years away, maybe even a decade away. Um, and there was a lot of infrastructure that had to be built, a lot of technical problems that had to be solved. Um, and so at that point, we... We decided to kind of focus on becoming an incubator um and again keeping in mind that we had no money to give people people would come to us thinking we'd give them investment right like, well yeah we don't quite have any money but we can we can help you do this we help you do that we've got this we've got this applied learning so we can help fast track you know your development curve um and we would basically earn a place on the cap table and But being an incubator and focusing on infrastructure, so we moved away entirely from uh, applications, we stopped working on them, partnering with them, and only work with infrastructure. Um, And the challenge with that is that it's deep tech, so it's multi-year R&D, it's very technical, so you need a lot of expensive specialists on hand. Um, and because projects are coming in and out of the incubator at different times, you didn't have cohorts, um, then they all needed different things at different times. So you ended up with like really poor utilization of, of very expensive people. That said, we, we still managed to make, um, a really good profit from doing it from our time, um, and we we took those gains and reinvested all of them back into the platform, hiring more people, developing more competencies, um, and trying to build up a little bit of a cash buffer. Um and, and really that was done through um through finding angels, family offices that were curious. We set up something called blockchain angels, which was primarily in Europe at the time, although we did do events in like Boston and Chicago. Um which was introducing curious early stage tech angels to the possibilities of blockchain. And we'd, we'd try and find some startups that were half decent and, and bring them along. <laughs> um, uh, what, what, year, like, what year was that? Oh, God, I, I can't do years. I mean, th- th- this would have been s- six years ago. Uh, yeah, probably six years ago. So,
1: so pre-big pre crash.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. We kind of hit the curve going right into, you know, 17, which was, was, you know, a great time for us in, 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 in validation in a way. You know, all of a sudden there was this huge interest. It was, you know, pre R3 coming online and bringing all the banking consortia, it was pre digital assets holding. All of a sudden you had like Blythe Masters and people in the traditional financial world saying, yes, blockchain was a thing. Of course, the narrative at that time was, um, blockchain, not not Bitcoin or not crypto. Um, uh, but we do these meetups and, you know, at the end of it, like 20, 30 people showed up and maybe one had come up to me at the end and say, hey, this is interesting. It sounds complicated. I'd love to learn, get some exposure. Can I give you 25 grand, maybe 15 grand, 25 grand? I'm like, well, hey that buys us another couple of months or I'll take it. And we were really like hand to mouth for years, like wow. just trying to lock in another couple of months. I'd, I'd, I'd gone all in personally, um, but it felt like this thing would be a thing. Um, the industry was growing. Um, and so we kind of grew this partnership model of just taking in individuals. It's only just this year, 2022 that we've actually taken in, uh, institutional money partners for the first time sovereign wealth fund um and a large publicly listed tech company we haven't announced the details of that yet but you know in material money Congrats. um uh, yeah thanks and um but for a long time it was just we got to find a new partner and <laughs> somebody else to come in and and they'd start co-investing a little bit um and we so, kind of so- so let me but pause real help. quick because
1: I, I, I it, the story keeps going and I keep missing points I want to to talk about because there's there's so much history here and anyone that's listening really needs to recognize that every almost every fund that exists today crypto fund or blockchain fund whatever you want to call it really sits on outliers' shoulders I mean what what you're hearing Jamie talk about is is the asset class was was at best even way back when was still kind of a Silk Road ish you know that that's what crypto was thought I mean so you coming in and saying Saying like, "Hey, we believe there's some real technology here." When 90 percent of the use case for Bitcoin was was you know illegal substances, um, is a really a, a huge amount of foresight. So what you know, and again, you were able to find like a technical founder to help to help with, and and it hasn't grown a ton um, yet over, over these years. So really. You know where where we sit today um you know what 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 was kind of in those early years you know that that pre that 18 crash that that we're talking about what were you know what was the overall sentiment even of the the uh the startups that existed back then i mean did, were they even convinced about where this was going or were they just like hey we can make cool coins
2: so it's it's funny because Just yesterday, I'm embarrassed to say I still use it. I kind of check in occasionally on Facebook, make sure the old people are still alive, you know. (laughs) Um, And so I kind of checked in and, you know, it does this time machine thing. It says, four years ago, you know, you posted this post or this image. And it was an image of some charts that we did. So we created a database of every blockchain startup we were were aware of. Um, And I forget the numbers now. In total, that database got to about 2,300, 400. And this was this was like probably all the way up into 17. Um, but I think when we first did the chart in 16, there were only 250 blockchain startups globally. Wow. <laughs> um, and, you know, in, in fact, as we looked at the cat- categories of them, I had this pie chart, we categorized them all. Um, and it was pretty diverse spectrum of use case. Gaming was already in there, but this was kind of pre-NFTs, yep. uh, pre-NFTs as we now know them on the Ethereum network. Um, people were playing around with colored coins a little bit, you know, beyond just fungible assets. Um, and of course, you know, Ethereum was pitching itself as the world's supercomputer, you know, that was its pitch back then. And there were actually a lot of <laughs> industrial use cases. They were talking about IoT. Yep. Um weren't really talking about DeFi and stuff back then. So, you know, there was it, it very quickly caught on. There was a lot of people that once they understood the basics of digital scarcity, you know, the the ledger component. Um you know, people who had exposure to primarily financial capital markets, but then also other industries, could conceptually connect the dots. They then create a startup, try and use the technology, and it just couldn't couldn't deliver on what they needed to do. You know, you could argue now still many use cases just aren't possible on Ethereum. Um, the scalability, the affordability, uh, what have you. So use, usability, um, reliability. <laughs> Right, you know, but they they were all there, they were knocking on the doors, the use cases, many of the use cases, I haven't seen many new use cases, new applications conceptually, they're already, we're already thinking of them even back then, it's just now you've got this composable stack, this Web3 stack to to execute them on, so, uh, you know, what was it that um, convinced me, I don't know, like prior to that and prior to doing startups, I'd spent my early 20s riding the web 2 wave initially within communications WPP group um, and then eventually setting up uh, agencies and consulting arms my own consulting business in the end what we called in the web 2 movement it was looking at peer-to-peer technologies for obviously marketing and communication what that meant um, to the communications industry but then also for market research and various other things so um, I'd had one of the great things about working in advertising and all consulting is you get exposure to lots of industries like yep. in a very condensed period of time. You have to kind of get your head around the basics of that market. Um, so I, I probably had like an unusual level of exposure to, to different industries in my 20s. And then, you know when I saw came across Bitcoin, I think went to the first Bitcoin conference in Europe, which was in London. Uh, and I, I just I couldn't stop thinking about it after that like the innovation of digital scarcity and having provenance like something that could be digital and scarce and therefore hold value and you could have the provenance of that thing um, it, it immediately clicked that that is applicable as a generalized technology outside of Bitcoin to a million different use cases Um and that represented a different paradigm shift. I, I wouldn't say I had a sophisticated understanding of that, but it was more of an intuitive one.
1: But but even back then, even you know, when you were in the in the, like you chose to go start outliers in a in a brand new and emerging asset class with, you know, tons of, of uncertainties, like you you felt this is the future and it's most likely right around the corner. And you know, here you are eight years later. Um, and and you know tell me kind of because I, I see people every week and it's like their their first month exposed to web 3 and they're like oh my god this is the future like I, and there's the fomo to just dump everything they have in because they're just like I feel like I've been left behind and then we have someone like yourself that comes on here and you're like nah I, I've been here for a while <laughs> it's it's moving but it ain't it, it's not quite uh, you know that level but but tell me you know the feeling then of you going all in um, which is very early and then kind of how you 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 maintain the the um, composure to to stick with an industry that that can rise and fall by ninety percent on any given day.
2: Yeah, well, look, I mean, I'll be honest with you, um, it was probably a lot to do with my personal circumstance at that point. I remember the time period when I chose to go all in because I didn't have very many other options. I mean, I, I you know I could go back and do consulting, and I hated it. I built this consulting business. And it kind of worked, I had 100 people, but I just, you know, consulting businesses are pain in the ass, it's very difficult to scale, very difficult to value, very difficult to raise money into. Yep. And so I was a bit kind of jaded from that. Um, I think my father passed away and my partner at that point had left me, <laughs> like, you know, with my one year old child. So it was like, a, I remember it was a really brutal year. Um, and, this web three thing was going on like well this this bitcoin thing was just ringing in my head and you know like personal moments like that compel you to like violent action right or radical action in a way um and so i felt like doing something radical and at that point this was the most radical thing i could you know, I, I could experience other than just going and doing digital innovation and change management for like, you know, some boring corporation. So, um, so as I said, I had a little bit of money and I thought, well, this is worth a punt. Um, and, you know, fortunately the feedback loop wasn't as long as I thought it might have been like, at that point I thought, wow, this is going to be, this is going to be many years before anybody's like remotely interested. It was very niche, it was very nerdy, it was very very politically oriented with a kind of libertarian uh, mindset. It was not for everybody. Um, I think I I remember for a long time, and I wish I'd done more thought leadership more early, um, because we became quite well known for it in the end, um, I had huge imposter syndrome because... There were some very very bright technical people, um, not just coders, but you know, like mathematicians, and it, it was it was hardcore. And so, you know, trying to speak about blockchain with authority in that environment was was very very intimidating. But what I realised was is that those people, as intimidating as they were, very few of them had any commercial experience, um, and. As, as 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 in um, as intimidating as it was for me, it was even more intimidating for everybody else that wanted to engage with it. And so I realized there is probably a role for a conduit um and somebody that can do storytelling and can contextualize things. And so, you know, honestly, I've been chancing it ever since then. Like I still I I I, I know probably 25% of what's going on in depth, and the rest of it is is broad brushstrokes because the space is, it doesn't get less complex, it gets more complex. Um, and anybody that tells you that they're an expert in Web3 is a, is a liar because.
1: I- Wholeheartedly agree. And it, it, it I mean that's a point. I'm just gonna pause on there and say it. I say it constantly. I will never call myself an OG, I will never call myself an expert. I, I simply insert myself in as many conversations and as many projects as I can because there's always continued learning. And and so from your from your perspective, I, I still unfortunately will call you an expert, but 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 an expert from the fact that you know how to derive value out of out of the ecosystem and out of the asset class, um, not that you can just snap your fingers and create a project out of thin air, but you understand the value propositions and the business structure of which gets missed by so many uh, of these new startups in in the Web three.
2: Yeah, I mean, look. So, you know, the benefit of now being an accelerator like that throughput of startup both that we speak to, we perform due diligence on, and then we work with. So I think last year we probably spoke to about 2,500 startups. We did due diligence, like deep due diligence on maybe a third of those. Um, and you, you get basic pattern recognition from that. You know, you don't need to be a genius. Um, because they're seed, pre-seed stage, they're very early, it gives you this kind of three to six month window on what's coming to the market. And you just need to synthesize that and then um, feed that back into the market through 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 your kind of thesis. Um, then once you kind of start working with the startups, and this year it'll be 200, um, there's some things that you can do in our program which are... Um, standardized content, right? These are certain things you need to know. Um, and then there's a lot of custom work and, but each time you do it once, a lot of it is transferable into another startup, another industry. Um, and so, you know, it's just exposure. Like the more you're exposed to this stuff, for me personally, the more sense it makes, you know, if we look at, how we operate as Outlier. We're about 100. Well, we're going to be at 125 full time staff. Wow. Um, probably half of those are specialists like token engineering, design, governance, regulatory compliance, issuance, technical analysts. We've got DAO experts. The other half are generalists that are looking at go to market strategy, fundraising, structuring. Um, and you know, we we have investment committees where we look at the projects that we're going to work with i just got off one now half the call i just sit back i've got nothing no value to add. we've got brilliant people who are going really deep like the DeFi, some of the DeFi stuff is just above my pay grade i just sit back i listen to what the experts are saying in our team and i try to make sense of it and then there'll be other things where you have a bias towards so like the whole nft and metaverse play i'm that's much more my space, right? So the the trick is you know acknowledging your weaknesses and I've got many, and making sure you plug them with brilliant people. Um, and then just creating a, a process that's scalable. and that that's taken us eight years, you know for the majority of our life cycle, you know we were at the mercy of the markets. it was either boom or bust, eight you mentioned 18 you know, the end of 17 was brutal. You know, we, we had to cut our staff by more than half, some very great, brilliant senior people. We were back on to living month by month, quarter by quarter, because we didn't sell, we would take venture like positions and everything that we do. So we had, you know, positions worth a lot of money and we, we generally didn't sell them down. Um, and we were like, "Oh shit! Did, should we solve those? Was was that it? Was that the cycle? Is this whole thing over now? Is the ICO over? Is uh, uh, you know at that point, investment capital, VC capital, totally dried up?" And yep. we were at a we're at an inflection point. We're like, "Do we do we stick at this? It's going to be a grind, and it's going to be a grind for another several years. Do we have that much conviction, uh, or do we do we just kind of you know get rid of all of our costs?" maintain the assets we've got when the markets recover a bit. If they do, we can just sell those off. But honestly, I'm not going to say we were totally convicted. I, I think everybody had a wobble, right? You, you wouldn't be keeping if you didn't wobble in 18. Yeah. Because it was brutal. I mean, it was like, it was two years really, you know, really. A, 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 we, we were helping blockchain startups to pretend not to be blockchain startups to be able to raise money. <laughs> <laughs> Which is as a blockchain accelerator, as you can imagine, quite challenging.
1: Yeah, no, it's it is you know, and so I want to touch on a couple of points that you just made right here, and, and and really it goes about the fact that it's very hard in an asset class this early, and you're talking about token, you know, tokenized projects of which you, in most cases, will have immediate liquidity, but but. You know, the value is not there yet. They're still a startup. There's still, like, there's a lot of work to do. And, and some of these times where you see the value rise by, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of a percent, like, that's amazing and that's great, but it, it, it hurts. <laughs> It hurts the uh, it hurts the project when you have the big VCs and the big the big initial guys like suck that liquidity back out. So you know I I really give you guys uh, you know a, a round of applause for wanting to do the right thing and stay in. You know what? How do you manage that today? Because you know you've got two hundred and fifty startups you know right right now, and you've been doing you know about two hundred a year for the last few years. What, what's your overall you know? How do you manage that amount of coins and I'm you know across thousands of projects that you guys have?
2: Yeah, well, so like firstly coming back to the liquidity point, we actually don't have immediate liquidity by design. Got so it. our vesting mirrors the founders' vesting. Um and that's really important to us as a signal okay. because um projects that go through the accelerator, we we get um up to six percent of total token supply. Which can be a very material amount if you consider the foundation, depending on how it's structured, might have anything from twelve to, to twenty. Um, you know, we we are if if it were a cap table, we're we're pretty much like a, a co-founder in terms of our position. Now we provide a lot of value for that. You know, this year we're gonna spend about thirty million sterling on on overheads to service, uh, to provide value, you know, staff and, and everything else. Um, but, um, but it's a material amount. And so for us, nobody's going to invest in that thing if they think we can dump. Uh, and yeah. so we just remove that from everybody's head. It's like, look, we, we vet whatever you think is exe- acceptable to the founders, we will mirror that. And so what that means is, is that we're vesting over up to three years, uh, it could be, it might not start for 12 months. Uh, it could be linear monthly, quarterly, and there might be a cliff in there. So we, we compared to equity, like Y Combinator equity. I mean, we're liquid way earlier. And actually the, the success rate, if you compare a Y Combinator startup floating and uh, an outlier project having a token launch, both public events, um, I think it's something like, only 5% of our 135 startups have outright failed in eight years. Wow. Um, wow. And 75% either have had a token or on track to have a token. We've only got 25 live at the moment, but we've got a backlog of 25 waiting to go as soon as the markets are recovered. So we'll, we'll double that. Um, so uh, So, you know, we're not thinking about whether we whether we sell or hold, actually is removed from us. We have vesting, but then even when it's vesting in liquid, most of these projects don't have the level of liquidity where you would or could yep. sell off into the market without damaging the price. Now, if you believe that that thing has long-term value, the last thing you're going to do is ruin its ascent. In most of the projects, but handful... Enter outside of the top 100 they've got a very long climb to become even a top 100 token. Um, however, even being outside the top 100 we can be making you know seven eight digit returns um, and if they go into the top 100 um, uh, or even the top 50, you know we've had we've had positions in in one token. Um, where well what was it it was like high nine digits um, so material awesome. position um, the, the thing is and maybe we're stupid right we don't know yet um, but we believe that the value of the franchise that we're building over the next decade is worth more than our reputation of exiting any one position even if it could allow us to take a very material money off the ta- amount of money off the table um so from that perspective we we are high conviction um, but also if you believe that the asset class as a whole is going to grow and you believe that your portfolio will outperform in on average, then again, like you know you would be a fool to to take that money off the table so so we're very disciplined about it we're very convicted but the most important thing for us is our signal right yep. that's that's worth several billion um and so there's 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 nothing else there's no deal there's no transaction i can do that is worth devaluing that
1: I, I I love I love hearing that um, because you know listen I talked to a number of VCs and, and you're you're not really a VC but you know they're 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 kind of in the asset class just to you know for the pump and dumps and and, and everything else and so you know you're you're providing real value and when I say real value like there's tons of money like even today in a market of which it looks like a barren wasteland there's tons of VC and institutional money just right now prodding and poking looking around for where are they going to deploy and it's it's you know again no. No one's looking into a lot of these other asset classes out there in the, in the tradfi world, uh, but but DeFi I think has proven itself to, to hold up. And while you know the Terra's Terra's gone, um, you know there, there's still a lot of innovation on the Ethereum uh, ecosystem, and, and as well as a number of others that are out there that are proving to have long-term you know long-term sustainability and value. So I, I want to uh, kind of pivot a little bit on, on some questions I asked you the, the last time we chatted, and, and that has to do with the overall, like some of the most common mistakes that you guys see by the time they get to you, um, and and specifically one of the ones that that I see quite often, which is like you have this amazing team, an amazing concept, and their primary focus is how to give away control. This this rush for for decentralization. What, what's your you know what's your experience with that, and and you know um, you know just anything around that concept?
2: Yeah. So I had two calls today with two startups in our live in two different programs. We're now running four programs of eight to ten in parallel and uh, had two today with projects whose primary proposition is around being a DAO of sorts, supplying it to to different industries. Um, And you know, the thing I always say is DAOs are conceptually great. I think um, actually at a at a kind of slightly esoteric level, they reconcile the free market fundamentalism of crypto and the collectivism that comes through, um, you know, smart contracts and, and, and DAOs. And it kind of reconciles the sovereignty of the individual, free markets and collectivism and allows for that to be seamless and fluid. I mean, that's just mind bending when you think it will happen at scale and it will happen at scale at some point because there's just too much of an economic incentive for it to not, right? And there's yep. too many brilliant brains working on it. However, the reality is today DAO tooling is very basic, it's very elementary, um, and also, as you say, there's this um, kind of dogmatic concept still, that projects need to be sufficiently decentralized or community-governed and driven. And the reality is you've got to remember, certainly the stage that we're dealing with projects most of them are still early stage startups yep. and and startups are experiments and you know we've got a couple of decades now of lean startup thinking um where you're you're iterating you're experimenting you're validating assumptions and you need to do that um with as little friction as possible and ultimately that means centralization it means a handful of people maybe not even that one or two people calling all the shots um, creating that feedback loop, iterating until you have product market fit. Then, once you've got product market fit, um, it makes sense as a means to engage community to bring them into the process of making decisions. However, I reckon the majority of DAOs aren't what most people think are DAOs, right? So how most DAOs function today is not really as DAOs at all. They are um off chain decisions ratified on chain um so really most hours are discord servers uh, and you know private messages in discord servers by a small group of people and then they'll ratify that um on chain uh and have maybe some voting um which is more kind of for the vanity voting than anything else and engagement's really low because people have got better things to do than to to vote on every minor decision and and um and i think there'll be a certain threshold to to governance anyway um and before you need delegation right you have to delegate vote it's a
1: it's a very new concept um, and and it's and you're right. The technology is is not there. I mean, there's no there's no public company or a private company that exists that that's going to be asking their employees or their user base. You know, what what color should the should the website be? What, you know, I I think I'd like to order lunch. Whatever i would like to put this out to vote. Um, and I, I see some of these votes on on certain protocols. You know, Ave and everything else. And I'm just like. The, this is not. <laughs> some of these should not be up to the community. Like some of this is. There's no way. I don't care what how many shares these people have. That they have all the information to properly decide. You know, is it A or B? Um, you know, there's a lot of research. You know, that that needs to be done and, and long term vision that kind of gets lost on there. So, you know, how the the um, the rush to distribute these tokens, the rush to to you know to go on chain. Um, you you and I have talked about in the past. It's 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 a little bit of the the own founder's FOMO. Like, oh my God, I got to get this out there. And if I'm not out there, then I'm not a real project. You know, how do you you kind of quell them and and get them to slow down and focus on the business?
2: Well, actually, I think that the sad reality is the reason why there's this rush to decentralization is it's a perverse um, byproduct of US regulation, Hmm. right? So um, because... The, a lot of innovation operates in this gray space of, is it a security or isn't it security? There is a regulatory pressure to add more risk to the system by decentralizing it. And so, as you mentioned, like, what is the threshold for certain decisions? Um, have you thought through the game theoretics of how different stakeholders will behave if they're acting in their own self-interests? What kind of attacks, governance attacks, are possible in that context. Um, that's very, very complex, and so you know, you, and you and you certainly need to be a mature enough network and a mature enough proposition before you could even consider opening that up. Let alone then being able to second guess how these things are going to play out. So I think you can blame the SEC for this almost squarely. We can blame you know,
1: them for lots of things. Yeah. They don't listen to. It. They don't listen to me at all.
2: No, right, and you know they they kind of pushed innovation to the point whereby uh they're they're decentralizing to a degree and to a velocity that it doesn't actually make sense and adds more risk to the investors that are backing these projects and to the system as a whole so that's 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 why it happens but then you know how do you talk down how do you talk down a founder you know i think um, and it's an overused term, but this kind of pathway to decentralisation. It's thinking through as a startup um, how are you going to roll it out? What do you go to market? What's your go to market strategy? What are the things that you know? What are the things you still need to validate? Um, and and then making sure that they're kind of methodically working through those. You know, a big part of what we do is well, a remove the complexity of trying to make these decisions because you know, like I said, I've got 125 people. This is all we do all day long. Um, try and be two founders with an MVP trying to solve all these problems. You can't, it's impossible. Yeah. Yep. It costs me, you know, 27, 28 million a year, maybe $35 million a year to solve this problem, um, at scale. So like, good luck with that. Um, and, and so, um, you know the great thing about people that join an accelerator is they generally have humility because they're there because they understand there's things they don't know, there's connections they don't have, uh, and so they come into it in the right mindset. To be honest with you, as a founder, I would have never gone into an accelerator to my great detriment because I'm learning, I'm learning on my own book. Right, all the mistakes yeah. are at my expense. Um, so, but I, so I've got huge admiration for the founders that 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 join our accelerator. And then where they're there, it's about removing... The, they're overwhelmed by all these decisions. They are compelled by, you know, false narratives. And it's about stripping things down, simplifying it, and putting a kind of a, a, a rigorous structure behind it. And, you know, the reality is once you've done your basic go-to-market and fundraising, we've got a, a part to our business called Ascent. We've got Basecamp and Ascent. We use this mountaineering analogy. Ascent works with both projects that's gone through our core accelerator, but also third-party projects that have raised loads of money, they've got loads of people, they've got the beginnings of a community, and now they need to launch and sustain a token economy. Um, and that, we've got down to an R. It's actually a list of pretty much 95 things you've got to do in a particular sequence. Um, and you can skip some, but it's going to come back and bite you in the ass. It's going to take longer. You're going to have... Uh, after after effects in secondary market and various things. So some things you can systemize, right? It's there's no nuance. and then other things more at the design phase, it's about removing the complexity that overwhelms a web three founder because it is. 100x more complicated to be a Web3 founder than a, a, a normal founder and that's oh. hard enough, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and it literally has to do a lot with the development cycles of things, you know, in a Web2 thing, you, you can put out your website and somebody complains about it or there's something wrong, you okay, I gotta fix this, we'll, we'll You know, kind of keep bringing the car back into the shop um, you know, but with Web3, you're launching a satellite and once it's up in space and it's out there, like, enjoy because you, you're not going to get another chance to do that one again.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, again, the great thing we're working with founders, which is what I get to do all day long, is they're optimists. Like, honestly, I, I can't imagine what else... I'm so happy I happened upon this. Like, I never... I didn't know this was a thing. I never dreamt of doing it. I'm not qualified to do it. It just happened to it happened to happen I think you're
1: um, the only I think you're the only one qualified to do it is is the reality well,
2: Jamie. I, I, I appreciate that but you know um it, it it doesn't feel like it right and um but you're working with these founders and you're working through cycles so the big big one now of course is well are we is it a bear market? Are we in a winter? Is it going to become a winter? Um, and coming back to what you were saying at the top end, um, we, we've got so many data points that outlier, right? So we're 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 being pitched daily by you know tens of startups. We're syndicating investment opportunities at pre-seed, seed stage, and then even later stage A and B, or kind of you know closer to listing. Um, and we're doing that in volume, and so I, I wish we had a better analytics to be honest with you but it's it's a little bit kind of um uh it's a little bit kind of you know feeling your way but um I can tell you last year when we had i think it was what august there was this correction about seventy percent uh, after things rallying all time highs, everyone thought they were rich again. Uh, and then it's like 70% haircut, like dramatic over, yep. over a month period. And everyone's like, oh, shit, are we, are we here again? Is, is this going to be the, the slow decline? Um, now, hadn't I been having all the conversations, I'm like having more and more founders coming in, some of the best Web2, you know, really amazing Web2 talent from big tech, hemorrhaging from big tech, pouring into Web3, um, investment rounds, closing in a matter of days at still ridiculously large valuations and a new fund being launched every week, even though the markets were down 70%. I was like, yeah. this has never happened before. No. Like, this is this is different. There's high conviction from enough money. There's actually, I would say, overcapitalization in the market right now. There's Easy. more money than there are, there are good startups. Um, we've never been in that position. Maybe 17, but like you know and that was retail dependent this is like proper institutional money it's it's in a fund they have to deploy it they don't get the carry and the management fee um and so yeah the retail market's still all over the place largely driven by macro the macro environment because i think crypto is now big enough that the people that hold crypto their' sentiments driven not by crypto but by whatever else is going on in the world right and absolutely and, the majority of their wealth or their holdings and so you know the the kind of retail market just sloshes around and actually amplifies the volatility of what's going on in the wider world but as you say tech stocks down an equivalent amount of money but the difference is there is this wall of money that's coming from the venture side into crypto every day and interestingly what we're now seeing with the massive correction in web two and big tech is there's a huge amount of talent that has been following and even investing into crypto and web three for several years, but have never really been able to leave the comfort of big tech, the share options that always seem to just go up the comfort of a job. Well, guess what? The share options look a lot less attractive now. Yep. Um, their future looks a lot less certain. You know, a lot of the massive layoffs, whether it's Uber, you know, saying they have to be profitable, whether it's Klan or in Europe, they just got rid of 70% of their staff over sure. in one week. Guess where most of these people are going to go. They're either going to set up, a, set up a, a Web3 startup or they're joining them. We've got a jobs board for our portfolio at the moment, 95 Web3 startups recruiting. I think it's 275 jobs. Wow. So... Something is different. You know, this is not, this is not 18, right?
1: Yeah, I you know, and I'd like to echo a number of the things you just say, and and you know clearly it's it is you know you are the again, I hate the word expert you know but you're you're the one that sees the playing field, and so you know from your perspective at that eighty thousand foot view, you you see things that everyone else can you know even if they're standing right next to it they don't see it because they can't see all the pieces, and so I I always enjoy talking with you about this because you know hearing the way that you're seeing the 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 playing field kind of reorganize itself and prep for the next wave, and there will be next wave, we know when will it be we you know. That, that's up to the higher powers, uh, you know, the, the big guys um, that control the, the billions and billions of funds um, to manage. But I, I want to hit on one last point you know, as we kind of wrap up our, our conversation here. And that's to me the most important part of Web3 that consistently founders miss, which is community. And you know, I, I I I get pitched way less than you, but I get I get a number of pitches and a number of projects that are struggling. They come and say, you know, how can we how can how can you help? Whatever the case is, and the first question I ask, I don't care if it's a DeFi project, an NFT project, or whatever the case is, is tell me about your community. And and you know, then you get the blank stares. Well, we're building one. We we have we have some people on Twitter, and we have you know a, a Discord server that, that's coming online soon. What what what's you know when you when you have those conversations with your people? What what's the you know where's community fit into kind of that that ninety five uh, checkpoint list that you have?
2: Yeah, I mean you're absolutely right to to pinpoint this. Um, so, you know, we we really well actually, I'll, I'll step back a bit. The problem with being a founder in this space is, you know, you've got a small team, maybe you don't have a team at all. just like you and a co-founder, you don't actually have any employees, you've got some contractors or whatever. And you're either very technical. And so you're focusing on the technology, um, a bit too much, um, solving technical problems that you don't even know whether anybody has or would pay for, um, or they're very commercial, so they're focused on the market, right? We need to – this is our kind of go-to-market strategy. Um, and this is especially true with people coming into Web3 from Web2 is they've connected the dots that Web3 technology can enable this new market opportunity or this new product or offering this optimization, this efficiency gain, Um But because they're not of the community, they don't understand it. They don't understand it's got its own language. They don't understand it's driven by memes. Um, They don't understand that nobody gives a shit about their technology and even their CV um, without that that kind of momentum within the community. And this is because I think most projects don't appreciate that they are becoming a public company. Right, the minute you have fungible token, but also non-fungible tokens now, right? You are a public company. You are part-owned, or if not majority-owned, by the community. Yep. And these people are generally not professionals. They're not professional investors. Um, they get angry. They're very emotional. They have short attention spans. Um, And generally you operate in this like FOMO vacuum. And so most projects kind of focus on understandably, well, like we've got to build a product, we've got to build the tech Um, and they'll, they won't even hire like a community manager or even a CMO until um, like for us, we really push on this as early as possible in the program, but it doesn't matter how many times you say it, people leave it till the last minute. Oh, now we want to launch a token. (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, nobody cares. Like, you don't have a tribe. Um, you, you don't have that momentum. You don't have that demand. You've not built up that demand in the market to launch that token. You've not communicated why that token's going to have value, why why it's going to have utility. Um, and so they're often playing catch-up. And so we actually, we insist on it. Um, in in the core accelerator, and then ascent. A big part of ascent is about building building momentum around um, around that token launch, but then also making sure it's sustained in the secondary market as well. Um, so it's not something that's like a one off. You know, you IPO and and there you go. You then need to create a whole communications infrastructure to be able to constantly communicate with that community, and it's a real overhead. To founders, it's a real overhead. There's a reason why a lot of private companies have never gone public on the stock market. It's a pain yep. in the ass. Forget the reporting. Just like it creates short-termism. Um, yep. very distracting.
1: Yeah, I, you know again there's there's so much here and, and and Jamie we could talk for for hours about it and I'm going to continue having you on. Um, normally I ask, you know, for people to say, you know, where's the alpha drop? Give me, you know, a couple a couple cool projects, but I can't do that with you cuz you know, they're all your children and you love them all. So so instead, you know, Kind of, what? Give me, you know, the the one or two points on that ninety-five point checklist that really anyone that's even thinking about doing a Web three startup just should start off in their head with um, before before they they make those first steps into um, you know going into the space.
2: Yeah, I think you've got to become part of the community, right? So, I'll give you a great example. Fifty percent of the fans that join our accelerator don't have a Telegram. Um, they don't have a Twitter account. Don't have a Twitter account. I'm like, you're dead. You don't exist. As far as crypto is concerned, you do not exist. You're not a human. Um, and they're like, ah, oh, do I really have to mess around with Twitter? And like, I'm like, if it's good enough for Elon Musk, the richest man on the planet, the most successful founder on the planet. It's good enough for you. Get a Twitter account. Here's some people to follow. Um, you don't have to worry about tweeting. Just start following. Get, get plugged into the meta brain, right? Okay. Um, and I, feel, I, I, feel, I feel
1: personally attacked by that one. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I, you, you, you should you should do right. You, yeah, you, no, you, I absolutely should. And you don't need a big following, but like, the, this is like an environment where your your newsfeed is curated by yep. some of the biggest brains on the planet um, is a really lazy way of knowing what's going on. But you also, it acts as a barometer. It gives you, I mean, you notice how many people I follow. People always think, oh, did you like buy my followers? Did I have like follow people? So they followed me. This was a growth hack a long time ago. You'd follow people, they'd follow you back, and then you'd, you'd unfollow them and you'd end up with more followers than you were following and it looked like you were influential. And so, um, I think I follow like 15,000 people, something like that. And everyone's like, but but, you know, why like influential people only follow 50 people and they've got like hundreds of thousands of followers. I, I can't, if I find somebody on Twitter who's talking about something, I don't know, I will instantly follow them. I just like one of the node in the mega brain that I'm assembling. Um, so the more people you follow and you follow the right people, they give you barometer on the market. It allows you to tap into the memes that are driving narrative. And the biggest challenge for startups is timing. Um, we've had some startups that uh, have exactly the right proposition. They were too early. Nobody understood what the hell they were talking about. Boton Protocol is a great example. So in Crypto Winter, they were talking about e-commerce, um, and how NFTs would be used um, for a new kind of form of e-commerce and digital to physical redemption. Everyone's like, what the hell are you talking about? Because um, it, it's pre-the metaverse narrative. Yeah. Now now it's the no, the narrative. Well, certainly in 21, it was the narrative. Um, so understanding the memes that are driving attention in crypto, capital follows attention. So you need to know the memes that are driving attention. If you, as a founder, if you can tap into those, the zeitgeist, into the memes. Often it's just how you contextualize your offering. Um, So these are like relatively soft things, but once you get a founder to start doing them, it kind of becomes transformational. And then the final byproduct of that is they start speaking in the language of Web3. And and Web3 smells it a mile off, right? Some of these new... They're trying to blockchain or crypto wash or metaverse wash. their startup, uh, but the language is a little it, bit it, off. It's like totally. that
1: hello kids meme. You know, you're you're right. like, hey fellow kids, where you know, hi Emma. Right. Um, no, it it, it entirely. You know, Jamie, you're you're, you're correct. Um, I'm a terrible Twitter user. I, I I don't I don't use it, and I don't like it, and that's fine. But it was interesting because I was at uh, Permissionless. I met not not one, not two, but three chief hype officers. And I had no idea that was a thing, but it's clearly a growing segment of. That's all that they do is is tweet and and make you know kind of the hype uh, in place of the founders like myself who are who are you know old curmudgeons.
2: <laughs> well, look, I mean, I think I, I've actually found it a sweet spot because I'm also I wouldn't say I'm old, but I'm not young. Right, I'm forty-one um, in, in crypto terms. I guess I'm like relative. yeah, we're, we're
1: we're ancient, man. I'm I'm um, I'm I'm just a, one or two years older than you.
2: Right, and um, and I, so I bridge LinkedIn and Twitter, and, and they're totally different. Like, crypto LinkedIn is totally different to crypto Twitter. Yeah, Generally, people who do crypto Twitter don't do crypto LinkedIn, and vice versa, there's an aversion to one another. Um, I actually really enjoy getting both of those perspectives, very different narratives, very different communities. Um, but, you know, look, I, I'm also too old, don't have enough time to do, I've stopped doing any discords, I stopped doing any Telegram. Like that's almost like suicide in Web three. Yeah, but I just is too overwhelming. Like, uh, it, you know. it's
1: it's clear that you know, and I, I have I have the same issue. You know, I I, we, I run a community, and and it's the same thing. I'm just I'm overloaded with like, oh hey here, how are you on WhatsApp? Are you on Telegram? Are you on Signal? You're on, and I'm just like, I, I do email. <laughs> I yeah. do, I do, I do Discord, um, and and you know I do LinkedIn, and those those are the and I barely can keep up with those. So right. I, I really do appreciate you know the thought around there for for people just to you have to be engaged and understand your memes. Um, you know it's it is uh, Reddit is a great source of those, uh, but it's a source of lots of other disinformation as well. So it's clearly one of those things. Um, Jamie, I, I I very much appreciate your time. Remember, don't run anywhere yet. Uh, but I want to thank Y whales uh, again, and and Jamie really it, for anyone that interested in applying to outliers or just wanting to know more about outliers what's what's the the best uh you know vertical to go find you at
2: yeah so i mean there's lots of content out there over the last eight years we probably produced too much content but like you go to our website outlierventures.io, you can see we've got a research section there you can see a lot of our thinking frameworks for token design blah 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 but I, what I would recommend is if you just want to straight up apply, you go to outlierventures.io slash Basecamp, you'll see that we're we're always recruiting because we're now running parallel programs. We run a lot of programs with um, for particular protocol ecosystems. So we run a Polygon one, we run a Polkadot one, we run a Hedera Hashgraph one, um, Filecoin IPFS, and we're launching several more. Um, so that's working with those ecosystems, their foundations, their partners um, for startups, the best projects building in their ecosystems. And then we also have an agnostic one where we don't care what you're building on, it's just about the team uh, and the market opportunity. And we're always recruiting. So um, the reality is the standard is very high now. I think um, we accept into Accelerators sub-5% of of applicants. Um, But what I would say is, if you apply now, you'll get some feedback from the team. It, it, we we can't like give detailed DD back to everybody, but everybody that applies, you know, you'll you'll speak to one or two analysts. And even if you don't get past that first stage, they'll feed back to you what they're seeing. And honestly, these people know more about the market than me because they're the ones filtering the startups before I even see them. So they they've got even deeper. Uh, understanding what's going on. Um, And the worst they're going to say is, well, you need to work on this. You need to find this person. You need to add this person to your team. Um, Or actually, you know, that's a very competitive landscape. Have you thought about X? Um, And, you know, the worst we'll do is, say, come back and apply again in in a quarter. Um, And we've had some startups apply multiple times before they've got in. Crucible, applied two or three times before they got in. We've had several do that. Um, but we've always kept this dialogue with them and we've watched how they've progressed and, and, and helped them out.
1: And that's why you're so valuable is because you guys do see so much and sometimes no is the correct answer. It, it may be hard to hear as a founder, but but... It, it can be and go back yeah. and, and come back again. So I, I love I love those answers. I love uh, you know everything you guys are doing. You know thank you for everything you've done to help in, in Web three and, and truly create a lot of what the VC VC space is today. Because I mean you just having the the longevity to go through the multiple crypto winters and you know eight years in the industry like you you built this. Um, so again, uh, Jamie, thank you so much. Thanks, Jake. Uh, y We'll catch you guys next time.
0: YWhales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner, with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWhales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.